Welcome to Ancient Future Heart. This is your host, Kelly Ingram. So today I wanted to share this bonus episode where I want to clear something up. As we get into indigenous ancient beliefs and mythology and spiritual practices, I want to be crystal clear about a belief that many people hold about practices that aren't their own religion, I guess. Um, And that's really what it comes down to is judgment of the other. And nothing could be more important in this world, especially in this world at this moment, than dispelling that kind of judgment and showing how it is. I mean, we know that it would be morally wrong, right? And ideologically wrong to judge another and say that another is bad because it's not your own. And that's what it comes down to. That's what all of this comes down to. Yes, people will say, oh, it's this part of my scripture says it and this that part of my scripture says it and my scripture is the only one that is true and valid. But really what all that is, is that's just a big story to say very simply, what is not mine is bad and what is other than mine is bad and what is foreign to me is bad. And that's not something that I will stand for. And this podcast and what I'm trying to do and and my intention is to bring to light the human story starting at the very beginning and all the stories that we have around creation. And I think there is so much, there's so much gold. There's so much wisdom to be found in going back to these most ancient spiritual practices, these most ancient of stories and myths, because they just have so much to tell us about the truth of who we are and the truth of this reality. And I believe in honoring all of it. So what I want to do today is to kind of jump forward in time historically and give you some of the historical context that demonstrates why any notion that, quote, pagan or magic, divination, any kind of ancient or indigenous spiritual beliefs, which again are just blanketly labeled as pagan by modern Judeo-Christian culture, especially, I would say, Christian culture, Western Christian, why that is actually historically false. And I, I have love for all religions, and I have love for all belief systems, and I'm not trying to then say the Judean Christian Um, paradigm is wrong. All I am saying is that specific belief within the Judeo-Christian paradigm and scripture that anything that is what they consider pagan, anything that's magic, anything that is really any kind of other spiritual practice as being evil. And that's really why I want to talk about this, because it's not just that it's said that it's bad, but a lot of modern, I see this with a lot of modern Christians to be specific, that it's evil, it's satanic, you know, in it's incredibly dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. I want to demonstrate that that belief is based on scripture that was, that scripture was very specifically written for a historical purpose, for a socio- economic, a, you know, a purpose in that culture, in the ancient Hebrew culture, 
whereby the ancient Hebrew people were attempting to coalesce their tribe and help strengthen the social cohesion of their tribe to benefit them and their survival, all very, you know, very worthy, um, a very just cause in that ancient moment. And so it has to do with the historical context. And so today, when anyone sees any scripture and just blanketly, you know, takes it for what it is, not taking into consideration, sorry, I just knocked my microphone over, not taking into consideration the historical context, the lives of the people that wrote that and why they might have written that in that way, in that language, that matters like very, very deeply. And so that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. And yes, it is kind of jumping forward in time, but I want to establish this now. This is a bonus episode, I'm calling it. I want to establish this now and clear the air before we go further. So if you listened to last episode, you know that I talked about magic, right? And so Mircea Eliad, the famous, very well-known historian of ancient religion, would say that the magical religious was essentially the first religion, the first spiritual practice. It is what led to later shamanism and animism, and perhaps they were all happening at the same time, but it's just based on the archaeological evidence. What we can say is, and if you want to dive into that, go back to episode 13, because that's where I really get into all the archaeological evidence that we have for the very first religions and beliefs about what is creation, what is life. So if you go back to that, it comes down to magic. What is magic though? So magic is twofold. It's the belief that there is an unseen world, a spirit realm, the belief in the supernatural, and also the belief that we can influence reality. We can influence that seen concrete realm by communicating with and interacting with the spirit realm. That is magic. And I've also seen uh, Rusa, um, Matt Rosano, who I have cited his work, I think, two episodes ago, and I'm going to cite his work in a couple episodes or next episode, who is, a again, a scholar in the same realm around the, the evolution of religion. And when it first, the first seeds of it, he actually, that's how he defines religion itself. So... You know, this is this is the very first seeds of religion is literally in magic is the belief that, yes, there is an unseen realm and that we can, by interacting with it, influence our daily reality. That's what magic is. It's really that simple. So by that definition, anyone who prays to God, even a monotheistic God, even Jesus, any spirit realm believes in magic. They believe in magic. They are practicing magic. If we go back two episodes to episode 12 of the podcast where I covered the cognitive roots of religion, what you realize when you look at how the brain works is that we are wired to be religious beings. It all comes back to our natural inclination to find cause and effect and to seek out patterns. These are adaptive traits. So this literally helped us to evolve better, helped us to survive better. 
it's really so, again, so simple. If you just think about it, the people who could see patterns and by people, I also mean Neanderthals and even animals that anyone that can determine patterns, those who are the most sensitive to patterns, they're the best hunters. They're the best at finding the food that they need. They might be the best healers. It all comes back to improving survival and that is why a lot of cognitive scientists and, and researchers who study this believe that we so developed and at times almost overdeveloped this pattern-seeking cause and effect mechanism in our brain to the extent of what they would call superstition. So believing that there is there are spirits, that there is something supernatural that is affecting our lived reality and that we can even enter into a cause and effect relationship with that supernatural element, which would be magic, right? That's all that is. It's just a cause and effect relationship with what is unseen and having that create an effect in the outer reality. And again, if you listen to episode 13, you know that the most ancient artifacts we have, even from the Paleolithic era, these objects from cave drawings to bones show that we've always been ritualistic and we've always been religious in this sense of the magical religious. You could say that this first religion is shamanism, but the magical religious, I see it as essentially pre dating shamanism and that shamanism is the later development. I share this more in the upcoming episode this week where it, you know, someone, a few people within the tribe would have been the best at hunting, the best at, you know, anything, right? The best at leading, maybe the most fertile. And then there would have been people who would have been the best at soliciting that cause and effect relationship with the unseen realm and they would have become the shaman. So Shamanism is really like the specialization of that magical religious relationship that early humans and and Neanderthals had to the world and, you know, their reality. So we have every indication that ancient people were communicating with the dead, with their ancestors, with animal spirits like bear or their prey through ritual practices using fires, using stories, using objects. And the first god, in quotes, would have been a lord of the beasts type of god. So this is a supreme being, meaning that it was venerated above all other spirits that determined the fates of hunters, animals, and human. And by first, I mean this is what we have evidence for. There may have been many other um, first beings, but based on the archaeological evidence, the first evidence we have of a supreme being type figure being a god that holds a great deal of power and may have you know held a high place in a hierarchy of gods or maybe was the first time that gods became hierarchical is this lord of the beasts type of figure so let's fast forward how is it that indigenous ancient innate this these in, this innate practice of being spiritual, communicating with the realms of the unseen, how did it suddenly become denoted as evil? It really comes down to, in my opinion, a misunderstanding of the Christian-Judeo scriptures, as in the Bible. And 
as you know, I really think it's important to see everything in historical context. And what the ancient Hebrews meant, what they were doing when they wrote these passages that have since you know, been in the Bible and interpreted to mean that anything that isn't, you know, Christian really is evil. I don't, I can't speak to Jewish beliefs um, because I don't know how strictly they denote things like magic um, or any kind of, you know, I don't know how strictly they do that. So I'm not going to speak to that. I'm going to speak to the Christianity. I was raised in the Catholic church Um I'm very familiar with the Christian scriptures. I've studied them. I studied them really intensely like a year ago. So, and this question specifically, but what I've seen is that, and I see this every single day on the internet, on Instagram, Christians, a lot of Christians who may have previously had more open spiritual practices and ideas saying, you know, yoga is evil and that anything is evil. Astrology is evil. Anything that's magic is evil, you know, period. It's, it's like we're back, you know, in the middle ages, honestly, with a lot of these beliefs where anything that's other becomes evil. And what I'm trying to say here and what I'm going to get to is that it's all based on taking out of context, these scriptural passages, which have a very specific history surrounding them and specific intention in their historical context. So no religious text is ever meant to be taken literally, ever. Never was the purpose or intention. And that's what's happened with many religious scriptures, especially how modern Christians view the Bible. I think it probably applies to how a lot, how different sects of Jewish people view their scriptures. I know that applies to Islam, right? And, and the Quran, that fundamentalism really is a literal interpretation of the scripture, whereas religious scriptures were always meant to be understood in context and they were always meant to be understood allegorically and metaphorically. But why do you think Jesus spoke in parables? Because he didn't want his words to be twisted and misunderstood. And if he had spoken completely literally it would have been. And thank God he spoke in parables. Thank God he spoke in metaphor. Because we can all already see how anything that he said is taken so completely literally. I mean, not to even mention the fact that he spoke in Aramaic and Aram and then that Aramaic was translated into Greek. And Aramaic is an intensely poetic language. And there are many ways that anything he could have said could have been, you know, interpreted in different senses. So that's, that's a story for another day, though. I definitely want to get into that. But I want to talk about how it's actually very modern, in my opinion. This is my personal opinion. Very post-enlightenment this obsession with the rational mind, this obsession with logic being projected onto everything, I think that that is a lot of the root of the problem, which, I mean, can be, that's up for debate because obviously we could look back to the Middle Ages, we can look back to the Crusades, but I do get this sense that 
a lot of the black and white thinking that we're seeing in our culture today, it comes from the enlightenment. It comes within this obsession with rationality in that people don't seem to even be like capable of abstract thought, of gray area, of can, and when it comes to God, <laughs> that's how God's always supposed to be thought of. God is the mystery. God is spirit. God is the ineffable. So of course, interpreting any scripture around God literally is going to, you know, lead to misunderstanding and misinterpretation and misinformation, I guess you could say. Um, and let's, let's rewind a little bit. I want to get into this, the ancient history and context around these passages in the Bible. So the best book on this that I can recommend, and I'm realizing that I said this is going to be a bonus episode, but it's totally going to end up long as a regular episode. But um, the best book on this is by Thomas Romer. It's called The Invention of God. You can also just Google him on YouTube and watch a lot of his lectures. And what I'm going to talk about is pulled from his book. So we need to understand why the ancient Hebrew people were warning against worshiping other gods, against ancient spiritual practices, why they were warning against engaging in any forms of magic, divination, or communion with any spirits other than their god, Yahweh. So to massively simplify the history here, the ancient Hebrew people were a tribe, a group of people that lived in the ancient Levant, which is the present day countries of Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. And this was a time of rising and falling of empires, of warring groups. It's very different than today, of course, but the context is that these various tribes, they were all very close together in terms of their DNA. They are all related in terms of their religious practices too. You can think of it very much as families, right? Families that came together in tribes. And there was back then this, I'm talking, you know, um, 2000 or more than 3000 or 4,000 years ago and even older, um, warring between them and fighting over land and fighting over resources. And I'm actually going to get into the how that first started to happen period within humanity in the next episode. But essentially what was happening at this time is that these people groups, they were seeking to differentiate themselves from the other groups. And that was simply a matter of survival and a matter of thriving that the tribe you know, needs a social cohesion. And so what it comes down to is that their religious stories, which were the stories, religious, remember, we have this fragmentation between the secular and religious today. It didn't exist. So the stories about who they were as a people, what they believed, their values, what who they were, is completely intertwined with their religious stories. And what was happening in this period was that people were trying to differentiate themselves from the other tribes and doing that through storytelling. Obviously, that's what we did is we communicated everything through storytelling. So the opposition that we see in the Bible between the Israelites and the Canaanites, Romer says that it is not based on ethnic difference. It is a theoretical construction that was created in service to an ideology of differentiation. And that ideology of differentiation, as I just said, was created to help coalesce and strengthen the tribe. 
And I hope that as I'm talking about this, you're thinking about how it might apply to everyday life, because this is this is very basic human behavior, and we see it playing out in today's world, and it's really heartbreaking, but it's it's very rooted in survival and this old wiring we have in our brains and in our bodies of what what we we think is right and needed to survive because it was very recently and we've developed so rapidly it's like we've outstripped you know our our needs and we still have this old wiring so but to stay in the ancient for a little while um that is how and why in the context of ancient scriptures it became that there was this insistence and warning against other gods. This was written as a way to create this greater social cohesion and strengthen the tribe against the other neighboring tribes that they were warring against. This is how everything began to be called evil. And so to rewind even further, I want to touch on Yahweh. Yahweh is the first name for the Israelite, Jewish, Christian, monotheistic God. So Get this, the first archaeological mentions of Yahweh, the name Yahweh referring to a deity, is found in present-day Sudan. Historians now believe that Yahweh was a god of the nomadic East African people before it was a god of anyone else. And these people were called the Kenites, and they were Semitic-speaking people. They Semitic being the same language origin group as Hebrew. So, the, again, we think today, oh, Africa versus the Middle East. Then <laughs> that's not what it was like in ancient times, right? All of these people are were nomadic before they started settling in different areas, and so this in, nomadic movements were how ideas were spread. There's archaeological evidence later on showing that Yahweh was a god among many in the pantheon of Canaanite gods. So Yahweh was subordinate in the Canaanite god pantheon to the primary Canaanite god, El. And remember, there really is no differentiation between ancient Israelites, ancient Hebrews, and the Canaanites. It's not based on ethnic differences. It's just, it was really like the geography of the tribes. But yes, the Hebrews, the Israelites, seeked to, over time, separate themselves from the Canaanites and coalesce their own tribe and gain power, gain resources, gain the means to survival. It just goes back to survival. And I want you to keep that in mind because I think that understanding that it comes down to survival can help us cultivate compassion because that we need to have compassion for each other. Many ethnic groups in the same geographic area worshiped the Panthenite gods, including Yahweh. So it's not just the Israelites, you know, this whole group of people in this geographic area were all worshiping the same group of gods, which included Yahweh, which we then now only associate as being um, the God of the Bible. And what's really interesting is if you look at Yahweh with an open mind, if you look at the characteristics, the attributes, the type of events that Yahweh is associated with in scripture, Yahweh holds many similarities to other ancient sky gods. This is a motif that's found across geographies and religions, and that's 
a group of deities who are associated with the same symbols and attributes, including sky gods being um, associated with power, law, order, war, thunder, and lightning. And very commonly in their story, they usurp or they take the place of a creator god becoming the supreme being of a group. So an example of this would be Zeus, who took the place of Kronos. Um, his father, Zeus, became the you know highest god in the Greek system, but he was not the creator. He did not create the heaven and earth or the humans. So same thing with Yahweh, if you consider him in the context of the Canaanite pantheon, is that El was the creator and that Yahweh um, was a supreme being that later became, in retrospect, the creator. And what's interesting is you can actually see this in Genesis, that... <clears throat> excuse me, in the book of Genesis, there are two creation stories. And the first creation story refers to God as Elohim, which Elohim um, can be a proper noun, or it can just be, a, it can be God with a capital G, or it can be God with a lowercase g, and it can be um, singular or plural. So there's, there's a lot there, I guess I'm saying. But in the first story, there is just that word El or God and then it's not till later on that you start to see and if you read a translated version Lord you know Yahweh is translated in the Christian Bible as Lord capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament so Yahweh wasn't used till later and if you know the scriptures you know that the name Yahweh wasn't given till much later Yahweh as a, the name of God was revealed to Moses and that's you know that's far after Abraham far after lots of the context of the of the Old Testament and of the Bible and that then the name Yahweh kind of would have been transliterated backwards right um into you know, all of that because the name itself wasn't, wasn't given till much later on. And that's like a whole other really interesting thing to dive into because for example, Moses, there's no historical context. There's no historical proof of Moses, um, that Moses himself, and there being a lot of historical proof for a lot of different figures in the Bible, including Jesus, but Moses, a lot of historians and scholars believe, is purely a storytelling, um, and a storytelling, allegorical, metaphorical figure, which, you know, I'm sure many people would call me a heretic for saying that, but that is the, that's the historical context and that's what we know. So, what I'm trying to say is that there is little to no evidence that the ancient Hebrew people worshipped Yahweh and only Yahweh from the beginning of their existence, which is what we are told in the Bible, right? Um, it is agreed upon that Yahweh emerged as the primary deity for the Hebrew people in a process over time that was tied up with the consolidation of their identity in a bid for political power in the region. And again, political power being about survival. So Yahweh was a warrior god, always, even when he was part of the Canaanite pantheon. And this is important when you study the historical context, and I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but I will mention one thing, which is when it comes to the 
Babylonian captivity, which is when Babylon sacked Jerusalem and then the Hebrew people were taken to live in Babylon, which ended up having a really profound effect on the religion, um, which later became Judaism because it doesn't become Judaism until like 700 AD, the Judaism that we know of. So, but, but this, this, the ancient roots of the religion, when it is, and with those words, right, because I'm talking about the terms themselves. So when the Babylonian captivity happens, there is just this transformation that happens in the religion with the religious leaders, because they need to explain why this happened. Like, to their people, right? Like how, how did Jerusalem, Jerusalem get sacked? You know, how was their power usurped? How was, did this horrible thing happen? And the ancient Hebrew leaders told what scholars believe is that they explained it by saying that not enough attention was being paid to Yahweh. And so you can see how events like that led to the reasoning behind scriptural passages that condemn the worship of other gods. And then you can even think about the fact that the ancient Hebrew people, the ancient Israelites would have been living in Babylon. So they would have been surrounded by the Babylonian gods. Um, or even when, you know, there was the, they were in Egypt, right? Like this was a people group that underwent a lot of persecution and they needed to, you know, work really hard to keep their tribe together and to keep their identity. And so a mechanism for keeping that identity, especially when they were in environments like Babylon or let's say Egypt, where there were many other gods and other people are trying to impress their beliefs onto the ancient Israelites, the ancient Israelites had to fight like hell to keep their identity and to keep their gods and, and their belief system. So now you can start to understand why the Old Testament is filled with passages that say, do not worship any other God than Yahweh, do not practice magic, do not practice divination. You know, when we start to understand the historical context in which this was written, and a lot of this wasn't written down till after the Babylonian captivity, and it would have been an oral tradition until then. And again, this is just the evidence we have. It probably was written down, but maybe destroyed. But the oldest fragments we have are really from like 500 BC. So you can start to understand why there is so much criticism in the Bible of other gods and other spiritual practices and that they're called bad, satanic, evil. It all had to do with not the fact that they were evil or bad, but the fact that this was a people group that was trying to stay together and that was trying to keep its identity. Okay? So, yes, those things are called bad and satanic because they are other. But the whole dichotomy, that kind of black and white thinking, it comes back to a survival mechanism. And we don't need that survival mechanism anymore. We might have needed it, though. These people very much did need it, you know, 2,500 years ago. And Matt Rosano actually talks about this as how humans have this natural ability to call what he says it's aggressive, be aggressively moralistic. And so, again, that is a survival mechanism. It is a tactic that was used. And I'm not saying it was even conscious. It could have just been completely unconscious, right? That survival is unconscious. And so just like the ancient Israelites, 
the Christians, when Christianity began to take hold, um, they used this same same mechanism of being aggressively moralistic, of calling everything else immoral, bad, evil that wasn't theirs. This was a way to coalesce power and to increase the social fabric. That is the point of calling other people and other belief systems and other practices evil. And remember, this is so important, the word pagan didn't even exist until the 14th century. So the word pagan is an invention in the Middle Ages to, again, create greater cohesion. And I think that it's probably around this time, I mean, it, that's a huge argument. That's a huge thing for me to say. But we can see as modernity progresses how power dynamics go from survival to what you could say as being um, extractive, right? And manipulative and how an imbalance of power is created and strengthened and widens and grows over time. So this, it's always been a way to consolidate power and control people, but it wasn't necessarily bad. And we can't say that it's bad because it's really just a consequence of human civilization and our deep, deep survival wiring. So I'm not saying that Anyone who did this is bad, although we can look at things like the Crusades and say, sure, they were bad, right? Um, but if we understand it from the perspective of the people that were carrying it out, they it really very much had to do with their survival um, and helping their, you know, their group, their tribe gain power and strength and resources, which again is just survival, right? So when we, from our very modern lives, look at, you know, these same beliefs. And when people practice this same mechanism of calling anything other evil, satanic, bad, um, they are really doing something that's very ancient, but it's very unwarranted. And it's very much a misunderstanding of the context, the historical context through which that scripture was developed. So magic, shamanism, ancient and indigenous beliefs, practices of spirituality, none of them are bad or evil. None of them. They are just different. They are other. And is there evil in the world? Is there a spiritual evil? Is is there you know, an evil, a, a force, an unseen force that is malevolent, that is um, negative. And I mean that in, you know, a cohesive sense, or are there many, you know, spiritual forces? I don't know. Um, I tend to believe there probably are, but that's kind of another story for another day. And whether it's just a psychic force, right, or it really is something um, that exists in the supernatural spiritual realm. I don't know. But what I'm here to say today is 
to really shed light on this so that we can have more respect for and more compassion for all people, all religions, and all belief systems. Because declaring that your truth is the only truth is totally fine. You may do that. And, you know, we I think we are supposed to do that to a certain extent. But we're not here to then project our truth onto other people, right? And to judge other people. And that's one of the, the biggest things to me that I truly don't understand about the Bible because from a Christian perspective, because Jesus, there are dozens of points in the Bible where Jesus says, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. And what do modern Christians do? They judge and they judge and they judge and they judge and they justify their judgment. And I'm not saying it's just them. A lot of other people do. But when it's specific to what I'm talking about today, specific to the idea that magic, indigenous, ancient, other practices are pagan, are evil, are satanic. That is primarily a Christian judgment that is unfounded and historically is historically rooted and completely incorrect when we shed light on it. So that's what I wanted to bring to light today because I know that as soon as I start to share this um, about, you know, ancient belief systems and ancient um, spiritual practices that immediately I'm going to have people coming at me saying that it's pagan, it's bad, it's evil. I already had just with last week's episode had a few different comments from people, not for, people from saying that they've been persecuted, um, mostly, you know, f- that they've been told that what they do and practice is evil, is bad, is satanic. They've been called a pagan. And I want to give you guys knowledge is power. And I want to give you this knowledge to help strengthen your resolve and help strengthen your connection to God and know that however it shows up in the brilliantly unique ways that it does, that it is valid and worthy and good. And you are not evil. You are not satanic. None of that. Just because you believe something that isn't um, in the Bible, because the Bible was designed for a very specific historical purpose, and it has since been completely misunderstood. So what is the antidote, right, to to this kind of judgment? And to me, it's to recognize the truth in anything, in everything, in all of it, and to have compassion for other people. And I really believe that history can breed that compassion and context can illuminate what has been misunderstood because it widens our horizons it raises our viewpoint to be higher and we can really understand how things happened, why they went down and hold, um, hold more understanding in all of it. And I really want to reimagine a world in which there's not one religion, but I believe that humans are here to be brilliantly unique beings and I'm here to support anyone in their pursuit of that. So I imagine a world where there are many religions, many, let's say, scientific beliefs and theories and where everything is able to flourish and grow because we open it up wide enough to see the common threads and the common motifs amongst all of it and just hold compassion for everyone on their journey and not call anyone other or evil or bad, but um, honor people and honor other belief systems. And that's what my 
desire is. And you know what is really cool? I realized when I was writing this is that is what magic is. Magic is about the creation of hope. That's what faith is. That's what prayer is. It's all the same thing. It's interacting with what is unseen to cultivate an even deeper hope within ourselves that we can change our reality for the better. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that this inspired you and opened your mind. And I'd love for you to share it with someone that needs to hear this message. Okay. Talk soon.